For the week of October 27, 2017, this is Think Outside the Beltway. We are back. It's been a month. Wow. On the show this week, we talk about the Republican Civil War and the coming fight on tax reform. We also discuss Trump, Kelly, and Trump's ongoing feud with a gold star widow. I'm Stephen Cox, founder of the Facebook group My Liberal Pals and host of the Washington State Indivisible podcast. With me, as always, are Chad Levinson. He is the Stanley Kaplan Visiting Postdoctoral Fellow in Political Science and Leadership Studies at Williams College and our resident political scientist. Hello, Chad. Hey, how have you been, man? I've been really good. We'll get to that in a second. And also David Gershwin, Democratic strategist and former chief of staff to L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti. He is our resident political strategist. Hello, David. Hello. It's good to be back. And Chad, I, I would like that title that Stefan just articulated. It sounds it is it is impressive and it sounds impressive. And I'm I, I'm sorry about the fate of the Cubs. In the <laughs> wait, no, wait a not. second. Wait, wait, no, what, what, wait, which which title are you talking about? The Stanley Kaplan. I, I don't think I've heard the Stanley Kaplan part of the title before. Oh, okay. oh well, sounds right. incredibly impressive. I mean, I, we had an all faculty meeting um, about a month and a half ago, and they introduced all the new faculty. And they printed our names with our titles, and I officially have the longest title of any new faculty member at Williams College. So, well, you know what they say about guys with long titles. So, nothing crickets, crickets from you guys. Jesus, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm I'm pearls before swine. What the hell? So, uh, anyway, let's let's jump in. Uh, and by the way, uh, David, congratulations to your Dodgers. Chad, condolences about your Cubs. So there, we've said it. We moved on. So much has happened since we've been gone. And honestly, uh, some of the things that happened during that time, uh, I was looking at my email while I was on vacation. I'm like, that's insane. And that's insane. And that's insane. And I knew that by the time I got back, I could just come home to a whole new crop of insanity to replace it all. And so I have. Uh, So we will just limit ourselves to the insanity of the last week or so. So on Monday, Politico released a poll revealing that 46 percent of Americans think the media is treating Trump unfairly. And while I'm no expert at math, I feel I should point out that 46% is a number that is terrifyingly close to 50. And then on Wednesday, Trump announced that he's declaring a, quote, public health emergency on opioids. And that is a loophole that allows him to actually not direct any money toward it, even though he repeatedly said that he would, like when he declared the crisis a national emergency a month or so ago on a hot mic without realizing that you can't just say that as president because those are magic words that mean you actually have to allocate money. So it's like like Michael Scott the office saying, I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> exactly. I yeah. declare bankruptcy. Yeah. So I guess take that opioid crisis. You're a, you're a public health emergency. So get better on your own because that's probably already going to get. Uh, I should also mention that the right is currently shitting itself over the recently revealed fact that the Clinton campaign uh, and the DNC jointly funded research that led to the so-called Steele dossier, you know, the one that supposedly includes the, the P-tape. Uh, but, you know, this was all reported by the Washington Post. So fake news. Uh, by the way, do either of you think that that revelation does anything to change the calculus on the Mueller investigation? I mean, Fox News certainly thinks so. And I'm sure that's all we're going to hear from them for the foreseeable future. David, what did you make of this revelation about the Clinton campaign for the Steele dossier? Uh, the the revelation that the Clinton campaign, like any other high profile campaign, engaged in opposition research, yeah. like robust opposition research, not not surprising at all. Yeah, I, 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 Captain Obvious. Well, he, here's best. here's my issue. What the fuck sense does it make? It's like they paid for it, and then they sat on it this whole time. Was it like was it the Clinton's camp strategy to be like, let's fund this report, let's not use anything in it, let's lose the election? Like, I, do you follow the logic there, Chad? No, like most. Like most ginned up GOP scandals of the last 20 years, there are huge gaps in it that you can you can poke. I mean, you can poke huge holes in it 
and it won't bother them because it's all you know they they sort of live on circumstantial evidence and that's all this is yeah absolutely oh i should also mention that trump promised to release the remaining documents of the jfk assassination this week uh, even go, going so far as to create a fucking hashtag to promote it because hey you know why not treat one of the darkest chapters in our history the same way that you treat the launch of a limited edition sandwich at arby's but then Whoops, he didn't, because it turns out that you actually have to run this shit by the CIA and have it properly redacted, and that takes months, uh, six months in this instance. So conspiracy theorists now have to wait until April to find out what really happened, man. Uh, Anyway, in terms of what we're going to get to on the show this week, uh, the House passed the Senate version of the 2018 budget, albeit very narrowly, and that paves the way for Trump's tax plan. Uh, What else? Oh, Jeff Flake dropped a bombshell on the Senate floor when he denounced Trump and said that he would be staying on the job and not in any way announcing that he would not be seeking re-election because that would undercut everything that he was trying. Oh, wait. No, I'm I'm hearing that's that's not what happened at all. Uh, we'll get to that. And also uh, the feud that Trump is continuing to have with the gold star widow of David Johnson. Uh, and he continues to do this because, and I cannot stress this enough, Trump is a monstrous human devoid of even an ounce of decency, and he will pick a fight with fucking anybody. We will get to that in the second half of the show. So I was going to start with the budget and tax reform because that happened most recently, but because that is so dry and because the whole Jeff Flake thing is so, well, moist. Uh, we'll dive into that first. Okay. Uh, so on Tuesday, Arizona Republican Senator Jeff Flake took to the floor of the Senate to, without mentioning him by name, denounce Trump. He said, among other things, quote, the notion that one should stay silent as the norms and values that keep America strong are undermined and as the alliances and agreements that ensure the stability of the entire world are routinely threatened by the level of thought that goes into 140 characters, the notion that one should stay, it should say and do nothing in the face of such mercurial behavior is ahistoric and, I believe, profoundly misguided. Uh, It is worth noting that Flake's beef seems to be one of personality and not policy. Uh, Jeff Flake has voted with Trump some 93 percent of the time. Uh, David, what was your take on Flake's speech? Well, first of all, it's it's very easy to make these broad sweeping pronouncements as you are exiting the political stage, as it were. And I think the the real reason for his retirement is, is not for the fact that he's fed up with the system, but it's the fact that he's politically unpopular precisely because of his vocal opposition to Trump. He's he's not very popular among Republicans in the state. So therefore, he had no chance of winning. Therefore, he had nothing to lose. So therefore, he could go out with a bang. So the substance of what he said, it was, was certainly impressive. And I think we, we have such a low bar for oratory today that, you know, this this qualifies as as a, as a one of the best speeches in recent memory, especially by a Republican. Again, the, the low bar is is very depressing to think about. Um, but, it's contained in 140 characters. Yes, yes. But I don't I don't see it as any, you know, sea change in Republican ideology. I don't see him as you know, a great speech would ultimately inspire others. I mean, a, a, a great speech by John F. Kennedy inspired the youth of America to uh, you know, pursue lives in public service. There's there's no he's not moving the needle for his colleagues. He's not moving the needle for the American people. He's saying what's on his mind, which is all fine and dandy. But this is uh, this is speaking of JFK. This is not a profile encourage. Well, so, Chad, I mean, wouldn't it have done wonders for this show of integrity by Jeff Flake if he demonstrated that, say, he didn't care about reelection and was only interested in doing the right thing for the American people? Why, why do you suppose? And I'm just asking you to get in, in his head. I mean, does he is he looking down the line that maybe the governorship? Is that why do you think he's stepping aside? What, what do we think about this? 
Well, yeah, without getting inside his head too much, there's a few things that have been going wrong. One, you said that that he votes with Trump 98% of the time, whatever. Three, 93%. 93. Um, that, that, that can be a bit of a confusing measurement because it doesn't factor in what's actually on the agenda. So calling that Trump's agenda, I think, is a bit of, of, of a misnomer. Trump has had virtually nothing come to the floor in terms of his legislative agenda. And when it did, it failed. Right. So this is the GOP's agenda. And Flake has been, you know, he started out in the, when he was in the House. He was one of the most conservative members of the GOP caucus, but that's because his district was very conservative. And when we, when he when he went to the Senate, he moderated quite a bit because the state as a whole is more moderate. And so, yes, he 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 doesn't care about re-election, so he can say what he wants. And I think it's telling that he's, you know, if I were to get inside his mind at all, what I would say is, is he like 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 Jason Chaffetz before him, um, is 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 getting out of this mess, because and partly because he might want a future political career. In a way, it reminded me of Joe Lieberman's scolding of Bill Clinton in the Senate. Mm. You know, and Lieberman wasn't done with politics. Um, Lieberman obviously had a very different sort of future in the Senate than Flake does. Um, but yeah, I see Flake maybe positioning himself to, you know, have have the moral rectitude to go up against Trump when Trump's popularity within the Republican Party starts to fail. So this is politics as usual. So and I, you know, I, I've I've kind of drawn the same conclusions myself about this speech. And I, I think, you know, absolutely everybody in the, the punditocracy was just falling all over themselves with this incredible, you know, show of courage by a, a sitting senator. I'm like, not not really. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. I'm yeah, with both I mean, but there's a, in general, there's only so much you can do with a speech. I mean, we remember these. Well, great let's see what he does. Fondly. Sure. But let's see what he does yeah. in action uh, over, say, the next, I, I guess, what are we looking at now? Like at a remaining uh, 15, 14 months of his uh, of his term in office. We'll see what he does. I, I'm actually curious, David, to know what you think about what this does for the calculus of the Senate. Uh, Bob Corker and Jeff Flake both resigning. Uh, John McCain is leaving for different, uh, much sadder reasons. Um does this change the prospects for the Democrats in the Senate in 2018, David? What do you think? I mean, Flake's retirement in and of itself, if it does anything, I think it strengthens the Republicans' hand because the the viable Republican candidates that will run in his stead have a very good chance of winning his seat. So it doesn't it doesn't help the Democrat. His retirement does not help the Democrats in any way. There are other seats that are going to be in play, and I'm all for the Democrats going after them. But unfortunately, Flake's seat doesn't appear to be one of them. You just mentioned something very interesting, David, and that is, so you you don't think, and and the hand-picked person to primary Jeff Flake is Chemtrail Kelly Ward. Uh, You don't think that she is electable either. So you're assuming then that some electable Republican is going to step into the void and take the seat. That's your assumption. Yes. I mean, I, I, I think he's he's he was going to lose. So I think there, there are going he's to going be... to lose the primary. Yes. Or the general. But okay. then if Kelly Ward wound up getting into the, that's a different in, into that's the a general election, uh, then that could have possibly turned the seat over to a Democrat. So th- who knows? But, Chad, you were saying. Uh, yeah, there, there are a million different routes to get there. Yes. But I, I, it's 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 not a, it's it's not a it's not a seismic event. No, I mean, it's what's what's tempering it is the fact that he was not 
uh, well positioned to win the primary. And so once, I mean, so basically you're you're looking either way. You're either looking now. You're looking at a definite open seat with no with no incumbent, and and beforehand you were looking at a probable open seat with no incumbent, and this means it improve. I mean, either way, the the Democrats have a slightly improved chance of winning because incumbency has its advantages, but I don't see this as being a huge change because he was probably not going to win the primary. All right. Well, we've talked about the power of words a little bit. I want to drill down on that. Just a little bit further. Um, so in an op-ed for The Post, Jeff Flake referenced the words of Joseph Welch, he who famously said to Senator Joe McCarthy, have you no sense of decency, sir, at long last? And Flake thought that Welch's words were the beginning of the end for McCarthy, that they awoke the, quote, national consciousness, and he hopes that his words might do the same for Trump. But I think it's worth pointing out that it was a long time after Joseph Welch gave his speech that uh, Joseph McCarthy was ejected from power. Uh, Chad, what do you make of Flake's assessment? And I, I, I trust that you're probably not going to view it very favorably. Do his <laughs> words echo Joseph Welch? I, I mean, they're, you know, in a way, yes. I mean, he's being critical of demagoguery. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's not, not, not only was it a long time after Welch's uh, famous speech that, that McCarthy, that McCarthy's, Sort of fate was sealed. It wasn't until McCar- until after McCarthy went after members of the military and the military establishment. That's what really what did it. It was a it was a huge strategic mistake on McCarthy's part. That said, you know I value good speeches and, and bold ideas and and virtuous ideas. Not nest, but but on their own on their own on their own count for their own merits, um, because that's one of the things that makes life worth living is grand ideas. Um, but I don't think it. I don't think there's anything like a like a like a collective consciousness of of, of the nation to be awoken in the well, first place. So well, we'll see, we'll see if Trump actually crossed the line with the military, and we'll get into that in the second half of the show uh, with his ongoing Twitter feud with a uh, a gold star widow. But David, what what do you think about that? You touched on this a little bit earlier. What do you think about the power of words to make political change? I mean, if you have to, it's a, it's a, you have to have a unity of time, place, and action. You have to, you have to capture the mood of the country in a way and build upon that positively. And I think it takes a very special skill set. And I think there are, there were just, that's what makes a leader. You're, you're uniquely positioned to deliver that message, and you personally have the vision to move beyond that. And then on top of that, the ability to communicate it effectively, and it's a it's a rarer and rarer art that we see these days to have. And do you have, think Flake is one of those people? I do not. <laughs> okay, full stop. All right, so let's talk about what the implications are for the GOP, uh, and and really, actually, by extension, us as a country. Um, so Corker and Flake leave the Senate, uh, and they've been seen as the moderates in all of this, which is just jaw dropping. Because in reality, as Chad mentioned, they are nothing of the sort, and 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 actually. Actually, if we want to just sort of take this uh, all the way through, they're probably both going to vote for tax reform. So I don't think that that changes the calculus there. Uh, Bannon, by the way, is claiming both of their scalps, texting a post reporter that there are, quote, many more to come. Uh, You know, James Inhofe talked about the support, the broad support that he saw for Trump from senators at their meeting with Trump on Tuesday and suggested that people who don't like Trump should, like Flake and Corker, leave. And so they are. But that begs a fundamental question. With the critics of Trump leaving, and I asked this question on My Liberal Pals, 
are we seeing the GOP fracture, fall apart, or is it turning into the party of Trump? Is it evolving or is it imploding? Or, Chad, could it be both? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's 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 a false choice if ever there was one. I mean, it can be fracturing and becoming the party of Trump at the same time. One is the cause of the other, right? So um, yeah, parties, parties change... Parties' fates change in, in drastic ways, in big ways, when something fundamental changes about the party, but it doesn't happen right away. There's a lot of stickiness. People are loyal to their party. It takes a lot for people to say that, you know, and they often say it this way. They said the Democrat, I, I'm, I'm not leaving the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is leaving me. Right. right? So this is what happened with the Southern realignment of the 60s. And a lot of Democrats voting consistently for Republicans because of the issue of civil rights. So the same thing can be happening now. I mean, let Bannon claim scalps and, and, and things like that. It's, 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 not, it's nothing we should worry about until we see whether or not this strategy is going to pay off in the long term for him. I mean, it look, I mean, he supported Roy Moore in Alabama. And right now, the Democrat is running roughly even right. in polling with a Republican in Alabama. That's ridiculous. Right. Right? Like, the that reddest shouldn't of be states. Happening. So, yeah. so, I mean, I just remember, I mean, he's, his, I, I expect, and, and frankly, I hope that Bannon's fall from grace is going to make Karl Rove's fall from grace look like nothing. Because remember when Rove was putting together a permanent Republican majority? I do indeed. And then like two years later, he was running around the halls of, of Fox News looking for better numbers on election night. Like, <laughs> Never just, forget he it. He was made a fool of. And, you know, he just, be, so just because Bannon thinks things are going great doesn't mean he's right. Well, David, if if in fact the GOP is evolving into something ugly, like, say, the party of Trump. Um, is that reflective of who and what we are becoming as a country? Or, and I guess my larger question then is, or is it something that we are seeing through, you know, this sort of sheer force of will by the Republicans? Um, because, you know, as we've seen, Trump enjoys, what, 39, 38% approval ratings. So it's not the broad majority that he's getting of the country, although Bannon said that he really only needed a third, and so he has it. I mean, what, what do you make of all that, David? Well, I mean, you, you, I'm of two minds. I mean, was the Trump election a snapshot of the American electorate and the tent poles that supported him at the time? Are those tent poles going to continue to be strong for the Republican Party in 2018? Mm. Has there been the type of realignment of the Republican Party to make this, the, this is, you know, for, forget the old Republican, this is what the Republican Party has become. And to a large extent, yes, I mean, the Republican Party is morphing as we speak. It's not, it's not a 180, but it's certainly changing. And it's certainly going to be, I mean, if anything, it's a harder and harder needle to thread to be, you know, what we used to call favorably a, a moderate Republican in this type of political climate. So with, without, with, with a more polarized electorate and a more polarized party, there are going to be, I, I just don't see future Olympia snows wanting to insert themselves or align themselves with Republicans and, and even want to run for office right. considering current political climate. So in many ways, it's, it's, it's almost as if to, to save itself, the Republican Party 
has to hitch its wagons to Trump, albeit reluctantly. I think that's what some, we're seeing. I think that's exactly what we're the, seeing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But extraordinarily well put. Excellent analysis. Um, I want to shift over and talk about uh, tax reform because I think it fits very neatly into all of this. Uh, And that is that the House, as I mentioned, very narrowly approved the Senate budget resolution. One of the issues was the state and local tax deduction repeal or SALT that was on the table that blue state Republicans objected to, most notably in New York and New Jersey, although actually equally notably not in California, um, because the higher income states get screwed, it makes them pay more in tax, and that could wind up, uh, by extension, putting those members of Congress out of a job. Um, is it just me or like Trump care, uh, do this budget and tax reform potentially open up a lot of fault lines for the GOP? Chad? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, they there's not a lot of room to to cut taxes for for rich people without finding that money somewhere else if you want to go through reconciliation and avoid a filibuster. There's just you know, and you know, the, it's in this fight over for the you know lifting, um, sorry, lowering the four hundred one k caps. Right, that's another part of that. That are really going. I mean, the, that's the kind of thing that affects people tremendously in like the you know the sixty to you know one hundred fifty thousand dollar a year income range for, for for a household. Those are the people who really count on maximizing their contributions, their tax, their pre tax contributions to four hundred one ks in order to build you know robust retirement accounts. Right. And, you know, they're doing all these things to sort of hide the ball um, because they think that, you know, they're going to, you know, that it's going to fool people into liking these policies that are going to do damage to them. And, you know, in the short term, it might work. But in the long term, when those policies fall into place and actually come down, it's going to hurt people. And people are not going to look back in 2018 or 2020 and say, well, I supported them when they when they voted for this policy. So I have to support them now and elect them back into office, despite the fact that I'm suffering. No, that's not how people vote. They don't vote and say, well, I gave you permission to screw me over. So, <laughs> well, no, David, they don't let's, do that. yeah. And, and in fact, let's let's kind of unpack that a little bit, because, you know, while the Senate version of the budget technically did pull off the table, many of the draconian cuts that the House version proposed, like the trillion dollars in Medicaid cuts, uh, most analysts expect those cuts to come back on the table in pretty short order since the budget. As you said, it takes uh, you, you, it's got to come from somewhere. One point five trillion dollars to the deficit. Uh, that was much like when Bush had his tax cut. And then when it ballooned the deficit, he pushed for what? Social Security privatization. So Ryan and company are absolutely expected to push for massive Medicaid cuts in the future because, hey, deficits matter. Ultimately, I think the shift in attitude is because most congressional Republicans are shameless hypocrites. But how do we see this, David, playing out with Trump's base? When these social safety net cuts come, and most predictably they will, do we expect the same pushback that we saw over the fight with the ACA? Uh, I should mention also in, in in the calculus that a recent Reuters poll showed that only a third of Americans support the tax plan. So do you think the base is going to push back on this when it comes through? Is this going to hurt the GOP potentially in 2018 if they get their tax cuts the way they want it, David? Well, I think the the only way that that's going to happen is if the Democrats are wise and strategic in coming up with simple, easy to understand messages for the larger American public to understand the basic pocketbook impacts and financial ramifications 
like the IRA and 401k tax issues that people are talking about. Well, Pelosi called it a middle class screwing. What do you think about that? How, how does that uh, language sit with you? I, I don't want to use the word orgy, but it might be more in, more in that direction <laughs> if you ask me. But uh, the you know. Oh but, no no that that sounds too much. Well no, this is the Democrats. That sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not the fun, it's not the fun kind of words, okay? So so it's 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 the type of thing where where people need to understand, you know, the you know in in high uh, tax states like here in California. I mean, this is it, it this doesn't bode well for me and my family as a small business owner, the fact that those types of tax breaks for me, which are worth a significant amount of money, are on the table and that will impact my ability to contribute to the economy. Um, so the more, but you're not part of the Trump base. So what do we think about the GOP base no, but, in all this? But to a lesser extent, even if they're not impacted by state and local tax cuts, if someone can show them as a you know as an hourly worker at a factory in Kalamazoo what the impacts will be by not having the tax breaks that were afforded to you for your retirement plans, what this is going to mean to your annual take-home income, and what that translates into, whether it be a mortgage payment, a rent payment, a car payment, or what have you, that's what Democrats need to show and put in concrete terms what this pocketbook impact will be on them. Barring that, and I and 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 you've only got 22 days, right, to come up with First of all, to even understand. Well, they're going to ram this sucker through. Absolutely. So, so you have 23 days not only to understand what it is, but then to come up with a cogent response and and pull it in such a way where you're you're trying to figure out which messages are resonating quickly. So, so Democrats have a lot of heavy lifting to do message wise if they want that to come across. Right. There's a few things that could happen here. Is there's there's what what David is suggesting, which is to find a way to actually make this bill unpopular before it passes. Um, and and that you know the Democrats can have a hand in that, or you could rely on some, in, you know, Republicans with some enlightened self-interest who can see down the road a little bit and say this is going to blow up in our faces, the same way the Bush tax cuts did, by the way, and not just for the sake of you know starving the beast in order to eliminate Social Security or privatize Social Security, which they're going to plan on doing with Medicare and Medicaid, might fail, probably will fail again, but. This is, you know, the, the, the Bush tax cuts structurally induced problems in the economy that could only be solved um, by inflating the real estate market, which mm. eventually came back to bite them in the ass. <laughs> well right? done, so man. They're going to kick yeah. the ball down the road a few years, yeah. but they will pay huge consequences for it if it does what we all think it'll do to the economy, which is flatline. I tip my hat to you. That was that was quite astute. Um, and I'm always wearing a hat. Uh, so, listen, I have a prediction in all of this. I think that tax reform is the end of the line for Trump. Actually, I'm going to go further than that. I think the GOP Congress has basically just had it with Trump's bullshit generally. I think Corker and Flake are the only ones who say it out loud because they're both leaving and they've got nothing to lose. But... As we have said on previous shows, uh, this GOP Congress and, you know, the GOP generally lives and breathes for shredding the social safety net and giving the balance to billionaires. Actually, Lindsey Graham said uh, in a uh, he was talking to a reporter and I think it was Glenn Thrush of The New York Times and said, without tax reform, there is no GOP. So this is absolutely their animating life force. I predict that whichever way it goes, if Trump helps them do it. 
He becomes useless to them afterwards because the 2018 elections are coming and he's a liability. And if they don't get their tax cuts, he's really useless to them and the 2018 elections are coming and he's a liability. David, what do you make of that prediction? Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is the, the dogma that Republicans have preached for decades. And, you know, especially folks like Paul Ryan, who have made it, uh, you know, a, a a foundation of their political career to try to strip away the social safety net, honing in on these horrible, horrible programs. I'm, I'm being sarcastic, like uh, SNAP, what was right. formerly known as the as the food stamp program, and just nitpicking these very effective yet ultimately not very costly safety net programs and and making them and demonizing them as being the root of all evil and the source of our deficits when that's clearly not the case. So this is clearly, we're at a point in time where, yes, the Republicans are emboldened uh, to take these types of steps. And, and it's like, now is our chance. We've been waiting for years to do this. And we have a president who can be complicit with us. Let's just come out. Let's just make this happen and do it. And we'll worry about the details later. But what do you make of my prediction? Actually, Chad, you want to weigh in on that? Do, do you think that this is the end of the line for Trump potentially? Well, the way you described it is like 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 tax cuts are basically the hostage being. Mm. <laughs> so it's like once once you free the hostage, the you know you, you don't you know they have no value to you. You know the hostage taker has no value to you. Or if you kill the hostage, same thing. Right. Um, yeah, and that could help explain this ridiculous standing ovation that he evidently got from his Senate uh, visitors the other day yeah. um, in that meeting. That they were just buttering him up. Right. And, and stroking his ego uh, because we all know he responds to that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's 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 hard to say. I mean, I don't see anything past this in the legislative agenda that's going to have a lot of traction. I mean, there's 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 DACA. There's um, there's the you know, there's fixes to the Affordable Care Act. None of those are really his agenda or mainstream Republican agenda. This is the big thing. But, um, but he will claim credit for it regardless, just like he's claiming credit for the fact that he's declaring Obamacare dead. So he will declare tax reform alive and well, regardless if it is even alive and well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, we saw this. We didn't we see this with the Bush administration where where the, the advisor was caught saying we you know, you all are paying, you know, you, you are analyzing reality while we're creating it or something like that. Right. You can't create reality. I mean, he could take credit for all he wants. If it comes up a fiction, it's a fiction. And that only lasts so long. And we live in the non-fictional. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Do you need a website? If you are an author, a musician, a small business person, or basically a person in life, I'm just going to answer this question for you. Yes, you need a website. Go over to thebestexamplesite.com where I have prepared a video showing you how to set up your very own website in six minutes for 12 bucks. Go check it out because you definitely do need a website. Also, how many times can I say the word website? And we are back. I am Stephen Cox. They are David Gershwin and Chad Levinson. And so one of the things that uh, continues to roil the news cycle and has for the last number of weeks is Trump's feud with the gold star widow of soldier LaDavid Johnson, who was killed during a special operation in Niger. Uh, more to the point, it was actually Trump's continuing Twitter war with the Florida Congresswoman Frederica Wilson, who overheard Trump's call with the widow in which Trump struggled to remember Johnson's name and then said, quote, he knew what he signed up for. That is what consumed much of the media for the last few weeks. Now, I, I don't want to get into the details of the Twitter war because we all know that Trump is a contemptible 
petty shitbag. But I'm actually interested in a couple of things. One is the fact that the story continues to get coverage. Uh, I'm curious to get both of your takes as to why. Trump has had battles with the Gold Star family before. He's insulted John McCain for being a prisoner of war. He's feuded with sitting members of Congress. And I should note that was all before he even got elected. David, why do you think this particular story has persisted? Did he just hit the trifecta? Was it the fact that this concerned a mission that until recently a number of uh, sitting U.S. senators didn't even know about? And that's something we'll dig into in a second. Uh, Was it the fact that Johnson, his wife, and Representative Wilson are all African-American? Was it that he crossed the line? with the military what's 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 up with this i i certainly think there's a racial component to it and that it, you know even if he's not doing it explicitly i think at the very least subliminally uh trump is is motivated by uh his his you know inherently racist views and they're being personified uh in in these actions and in the in the twitter wars etc um but the other dynamic i think he 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 and his ilk, and and you know, to a worst extent, uh, in an even more surprising extent, John Kelly. I think they see this as their form of a culture war, and that that they that they see themselves as being in the right, and that this is something where they can they can put their views forward and and somehow stand up for what's right in America, and not somehow be brought down by any sort of controversial figure, and not be questioned, and to to use it as an opportunity to somehow reinforce their dedication to to those who serve, even though it's so obvious that there's been no such dedication personally from Trump or those in his those in his administration to actually, you know, provide that level of uh, of, of, of compassion and, and something that other presidents have done in in much more grander and meaningful forms. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they're they're being they're being they're certainly being very defensive. But yeah, I, I, I they're they're turning what was a liability into a culture war that they can they think that somehow they're going to gain some political traction out of it, which is astounding to me. I think it's the wrong the wrong situation to do it in, and they're picking the wrong fight in the wrong way. But they somehow think they're gaining an advantage. So I don't know what's going through their heads. Well, you, so you bring up John Kelly and, you know, John Kelly's chief of staff. He is a retired four-star general, and he held a press conference, one that was meant to calm things down, but probably wound up making things worse. Um, so Kelly uh, lost his son to fighting in Afghanistan. And uh, in his press conference, he said, among other things, that Representative Wilson was an opportunist who was only after publicity, in his words, an empty barrel. Uh, he lied about her taking credit for raising money while at a naming ceremony for two fallen FBI agents. He said that he felt sorry for most Americans who will never know what it feels like to serve in the military. And then when he was taking questions, he said he would only talk to members of the press who had a connection to the military, which struck many people, myself included, as a thing that uh, somebody in power does in a banana republic. But anyway, Chad, what did you make of Kelly's speech? Yeah, yeah, this one's this one's not hard. I mean, Kelly is Kelly's just wrong he's in the wrong kind of government if he thinks that's the that's the way things go i mean he was he got caught lying specifically i mean lying just blatantly lying about the congresswoman's speech at the naming ceremony for the fbi for the fbi facility and it, it was right there on videotape and for a few days we weren't sure that it was going to be videotape and then there was and then the white house said that you're not allowed to criticize uh four-star general, which is obscene, and it's not even a close call. So, you know, I think, but I think part of the reason why this has become a big story 
is that, you know, compared to the comments you made about John McCain and compared to the Khan family, the, the previous Gold Star family that he um, that he, he, he got confrontational with, is that was happening in the context of a campaign. Mm-hmm. Right? People are expected to be nasty. People forgive a certain degree of nastiness within a campaign because they're fighting over such huge stakes. Now, this is in the execution of his duties as commander-in-chief that he screws this up. Yeah. Right. You know, you could say that in the context of a campaign, you're going to pull all this stuff and then the the office will turn you into a leader. Well, he's in office and he's not become a leader. No. So that's that's a bit of a crisis. And I just want to say and we should have known better than to expect John Kelly to be a grown-up force or a force for good within the White House. And we should have known that because of the way he behaved when he was in charge of the Department of Homeland Security. Refresh us. Yeah, so he was in charge of the rollout of the original uh, attempt at banning um, Muslims from traveling to the United States uh, in the early days of this administration. Uh, that, was, that was, of course, you know, squashed by judicial ru- rulings and protests. It, Kelly was Kelly was that was Kelly's work, right? Screwing that up, following those illegal orders, was Kelly's doing. So he's no prince. And you can see that he is betraying his military honor, in in my opinion, in the opinion of a lot of people who have served, um, by by acting like he's working in a in a, in an autocracy, by 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 sort of by enacting the sort of starship troopers mentality that only, you know, that that service the citizenship equals service. There are a lot of ways to serve, and there are a lot of people who have served who find his who find his his remarks offensive. Let me just say real quick, I, I really appreciate Chad the fact that you mentioned you know betrayal of of his military duty because as as you were uh, you know getting into the details of of why Kelly's remarks were so troubling, I kept thinking conduct unbecoming of an officer, and yet conduct unbecoming of a general conduct unbecoming of the chief of staff to the president of the United States. All these all these things that we used to take for granted are being pushed by the wayside. And I actually thought that his his remarks uh, were absolutely despicable. And and it, you're right. It shouldn't have surprised me, but it did. Yeah. And we can't we can't I think we maybe I gave him the benefit of the doubt more than some people, uh, but I think uh, some people thought that he was going to be the babysitter that finally shook this administration straight, and I th- yeah, he showed his true colors. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that Kelly or anybody, for that matter, is going to be the one to force Trump into that long-anticipated pivot into being a, a real president. Uh, and in closing, don't shake the baby. And uh, that will do it for this week's show. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you would like to be up on all of our goings on here at the show, please head over to thinkoutsidethebeltway.com and uh, hey, subscribe while you're there. That'd be fun. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, please give us a rating. That is also fun. Think Outside the Beltway is a production of Get Creative, Inc. I am Stephen Cox, and they are Chad Levinson and David Gershwin, and this podcast kills fascists. Isn't it pretty to think so? After all, tomorrow is another day. And next week is another week, and we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.